Welcome to the Atlas Project. It's a new world. To navigate it, we need new maps. Each episode, best-selling author Chris Katana and Scott Jones saw 50,000 feet above the immediate headlines in politics, economics, science, and society. The Atlas Project aims to reveal the big picture of where humanity is headed and the choices we all need to face. Chris, happy holidays, my friend. Happy holidays. Wait, Which is are you, this war on Christmas? Exactly. Happy holidays. Now, I I'm not. A, I, I'm not a war on Christmas person in the least. But I, I always just feel like uh, there's so many holidays that you there, know. There are so many holidays, and, and and I feel like, I mean, in my mind, happy holidays is a shorthand. Right. It, the 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 long form is it for me is. Is is this time of year a holiday for you? And what holiday is it? And then they wish that holiday. I, I think it's totally fine. Like I, you know, I, I grew up for me, for me, this is Christmas. And I think right, it's, right, it's right. totally fine for me to wish people a happy Christmas, because that's the that's the the frame that I view this this time in. The struggle in the modern sort of modern day is that we're 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 forced to put the all of the rich nuance of of how how interested I am in the in the uniqueness of you, we're forced to force all of that into like two seconds or a hundred characters, and so everything becomes a war about you know what was excluded when really the, the it's the medium's fault. I'm so interested and fascinated. I mean, all of my Chinese friends like Christmas is just like you know it's just another office party, but it has no special meaning for us. So it's it's relative. Merry Christmas. Not quite yet. Yeah, no, Christmas is uh you know you know what I look forward to every year? I watch it every year now. Uh, I I watch the Queen's Christmas address. You've only recently started this? Yeah, I, it was you know I I You've been bereft I, for years. I know. I've been I'm doing it for a while just so you know. I, I know. I'm a cultural philistine, but I think I started watching it when the crown came out. <laughs> and she does this powerful Christmas address and I started I, and I went back and I started watching her old ones and I'm like wow this woman has a real degree of religious and theological sophistication like the things she says in these addresses you know are pretty profound and I think it's a, it's a wonderful again I think it's one of these advantages folks in the UK have when you have this nonpartisan head of state, right? Where they can come out. It, it does not, it would not have the president of the United States delivering a Christmas message would not have the same sort of effect or appeal that the queen does. It, it is interesting that we, that there is this figure here who, who can, can speak to the nation and, and everyone, well, that's maybe too strong a statement, but like most people see it as an as an apolitical act. It's it it's yeah the ability to speak from from a kind of head of state voice to 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 the country. You know, a couple of things about those those Christmas addresses. One, I mean, she she mastered the art of kind of the short um, the short keynote long before Ted made it the normal 
and then made it popular because because they're nice tight addresses. The other thing that's immediately coming to my mind was was it last year when she wore a like a green dress and then there were all of these like internet memes of of using her her clothing as a green screen to put on. <laughs> did you ever participate in that? I did not participate. I'm not a big memer. See what's interesting is that you as an American, you see it, oh, it's kind of interesting to see like the Queen of England give her talk to her subjects. As as a Canadian and a member of the Commonwealth, what's also interesting is that when I watch the Christmas address, I, I feel like she's speaking to me as Queen of Canada, as 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 sort of the, the, the Queen of the Commonwealth. So it's quite and, and she she does, you know, speak in that register, if you will, in in the address itself. It's it's not it's not quite the uh what is the Pope's address? The the omnus and it order be? Is that it? You're the Latin speaker. Are you talking about the most recent one or no no no, no. it's it's the it's the name in Latin of the address that the the Pope makes to the world. Uh I mean there's when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, but uh, I'm trying to think. Our listeners is going to the Urbi et Orbi. Oh, the state of the the state of the world kind of thing, right? Right the, to the city of Rome and to the world, a papal address and apostolic blessing given by the Pope on certain solemn occasions. Doesn't he give the Urbi et Orbi um, during Christmas as well? One of your followers is going to rant at us. He, well, he, I mean, he usually his Christmas mass is usually pretty well televised, but I don't think he consistently gives the. The Urbi Orbi, like all that, like I don't think it happens. Um, at those sort of, I don't know though. This is, I don't know. I, I shouldn't say, but somebody, somebody, email us if you know the answer. We're we're waiting with. I mean, we could just Google it right now, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> this is this is the Atlas Project. We don't do this for you. We do it with you. <laughs> so we're in interesting times right now. That we're coming into the holiday season, and in both uh, New York and London, this is uh, the pandemic is kind of rearing its ugly head. It's a it's a it's a weird kind of time to be celebrating the holidays, and and there is a real sense of deja vu in that yeah. respect about right now because I remember three hundred sixty five days ago. London was in London was in lockdown last year this time. Um, it's not it's not in lockdown now, but there is a kind of elevated level of of uh, of care and uh, and a reduced level of you know kind of personal personal freedom. I, I actually got um, a notification on my NHS app today notifying me that I had been in close contact with somebody who is been found COVID positive. So I raced and did my lateral flow test and still negative. Remarkable. But it <coughs> it 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 is really a sense of, of deja vu because it feels it feels like uh, a year has passed and in that respect not much has changed. Yeah and you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording about what are it, it's it's interesting because I've been spending way too much time on Clubhouse. Uh the the app that's uh, it's the crack of the internet now for many people, mm. and you know I think which I attribute my addiction to it to you. 
Because you kind of really were like, hey, check this app out. I really wasn't on it. You're not really on it. Our, our mutual friend, Roy Field, who if he listens to this podcast, hey, Roy Field, I hope you uh, are well. Our mutual friend, Roy Field Brown, is bit, was big on it. And I got sucked into a vortex. And you managed to stay out of the vortex. You poked your head into the vortex and then pulled your head out. I'm very good at um, at, at at staying. Yeah, there's there's something in my in my just the way that I interact with um, people so much every day that I I don't need more people. <laughs> I really, I really don't. It's not something I go to seek when I'm like done talking to people for the day. <laughs> but I love, I love that kind of, you know, you can, you can cover that space. You can, you can bring to, to the Atlas project, everything that's worth bringing up from, from um, the, the, the universe inside clubhouse. But so you were saying, so there's this like long giant, serpent of a conversation going on right now and has been for hours and hours and hours oh, yeah. about it, COVID. 18, 18 plus hours. I mean, there's a room and the title of the room was, and so this is how Clubhouse works. There's a room title and you get pinged or you get notified if your friends are in the, in the room. And that's, it. so if you have like one friend in the room, you'll get notified and you can kind of pop in and whatever. And the thing was, should non-vaxxers and they, I think they were talking in the U.S. context, although there were people there from the U.K., there were people there from Australia, there were people. But, I mean, I think the whoever framed the room was thinking in the U.S., should non-vaccinated people be imprisoned or fined? And, of course, this set, like, you know... <laughs> Well, I guess you know by now people on Clubhouse have learned how to how to frame the name of the room in order to spark a debate. Oh yeah, it was totally. Because like, is anybody having that conversation until somebody created that room? Like seriously? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. There is a precedent. In 1905, um, there was a Supreme Court case, Jacobson versus Massachusetts, where. Um, the guy Jacobson did not want to be, he was protesting a small, the smallpox inoculation in Massachusetts. And he, the court found against Jacobson and they said that municipalities have the prerogative to mandate vaccines in a health crisis, but he just paid a $5 fine and didn't get vaccinated anyway. <laughs> um, but that it's, it, I mean, that is kind of an interesting debate right now because people, and it's become completely partisan in this country. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, there's very little room for nuance. And, you know, what you and I were saying is, you know, I'm sitting there in this room. I, I popped in and out a few times and I just didn't hear any interesting questions raised, really. I mean, there was no, there were, you know, you had the kind of, libertarians and the kind of contrarians, which is really common in American culture. I'm sure you have it in the UK, but I think we probably have it more in the United States where people that just have a, like a kind of reflexive protest to, to mandates and things like that. It's just kind of, it's the nature of American culture and, that, and there versus the people that really are generally trusting in government and think institutions, you know, you can, you can, you know, like 
it's not that they don't have their problems, but you can really kind of rely on them. Uh, and, and, and in full disclosure, I would kind of put myself in that camp in general. I think I'm a person that generally thinks, okay, we live in a really complex and diverse society. With, you know, this is what why you get out of hunter-gatherer society, right? So that everybody doesn't have to do all the same things, right? And so, but that requires us to trust experts to some degree. It's not that we can't interrogate them or or ask critical questions because we're in a democratic society. But at some point, though, you have to have some deference to experts, I think. And so it's it's the kind of expertise deference people versus the versus the uh, people that are suspicious and 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 it just was I can't believe that a conversation could go on that long without anything interesting being said. <laughs> <laughs> really, you can believe it. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I can't. that's true. That's hyperbolic. But, but I actually I, can believe it. Right, but I think that's also why. Mm, I mean, well, especially conversations like that. Um, right now, I, I I have I have no energy for them because without listening to it for a moment, I think I think we and, and, and anyone could map out the landscape of the conversation and, and the questions being asked inside it. And so it's not it, there's something that's not it's not there's nothing generative about that conversation. It's just regurgitative. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just vomiting it and eating it again and and there's something just fundamentally not nutritious i think about um rehashing the same you know the the same pathways over and over and over again it's like it's like wearing grooves in you know in in the in 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 the walking park of our mind and and it's just trampling the grass that can't doesn't have a you know a chance to to grow back. If anybody could follow that metaphor, it was very clear in in my head. Which I suppose you know kind of is a good segue into what what we both thought would be would be a, a good conversation worth having, um, and. And maybe like a good topic of conversation at uh, any holiday Christmas party, which is what are the good questions? And that we, we are going to make you stars, about? by the way. If you want to like support us, you know, we might, uh, you know, if you want to kind of con give a contribution to the Atlas Project, because this is what is really going to, we're going to make you the star of your holiday party. We're going to give you some good questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is it is it is nice to be kind of the the conversation setter. Was there? I think it was an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, <laughs> where 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 Larry David, like they're at some kind of dinner party. Have you seen this? They're at some kind of dinner oh, yeah, party, yeah, the, and the people the, in the middle are not doing a good job. He's of, not a middler, <laughs> Larry. A, what's going on? He's not a middler. He's a bad middler. <laughs> And then they kind of like yeah, and then they like they they deliberately like reseat people. So they put a couple of good conversations. And then, and then in the middle Larry and David, the Larry David, he becomes the middler and brings up a stage four cancer patient. She said this, and the best thing was they start taking. Well, you would take any advice from a stage four cancer patient, and then Jeff says, "But a stage three, you couldn't pay me to take advice from a stage three. No, <laughs> stage three, no way." 
irreverent, I think, is you know, a good label for the brand of, of Larry David's humor. Oh, it's amazing. It's but, amazing. But if you want to be a good middler at uh, you know holiday dinner party, I, you need like you need to be able to kind of put provocative questions onto the table, and and so that's the challenge I think with something like COVID is shuts down the conversation immediately because there's no provocative question. I mean, like that that clubhouse, but that's like cheap. That's that's not provocative. That's provo- like that's like agent provocateur. Like that's just, you know, how can we set this? It's not a real question. Nobody's throwing somebody in jail for co- like it's oh, I have no time for it. Um but I do think that, you know, around the holidays what is a really valuable question, like a genuinely worthwhile question for people to be thinking about that serves a number of purposes is to kind of think back on the year that's been and and ask of the year and ask of the events of the year and like your personal journey of the year, what, what are the questions that 2021 is asking of us as we look forward to, to the next year, what, what, does this year that has just happened sort of demand that we inquire into more? And I think that that is so much more interesting a question than, you know, what were the top 10 blah, 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 blah of 2021, which any kind of form of that conversation in my mind is reductive. It takes, you know, the rich infinity of a year of existence and tries to, to shrink it down into some little bite-sized packet you can carry over the line into 2022. And I don't want to play that game. I want to be expansive. I want to say, what happened here that tells me we need to explore that a lot more? That's the kind of question that a middler would ask. Like a good a middler, middler. That was good middling. That's, <laughs> no, the, that's middling. It's very quality middling. Um, now, there's this great guy. I might have mentioned this on the podcast before. I'm not sure. But uh, a guy, Paul Tripp, who's a a therapist here in America. And he said, in my experience as a counselor, most people in crisis don't need information. They need imagination. You know, and I think the top 10 reflection and the data point things Mm. are the sort of- I'm writing that down. That's good. Yeah, no, it's great. No, it's great. I remember the first time I read it and I thought, wow, this is one of the best sentences. Uh, The things I wish I would have written kind of thing. Um, or said, you know, and I think that how do you move from the informative zone to the imaginative zone where you can kind of, and and I think that you're right. Like, I think the, the, when inevitably the top 10 lists, right. Which every media outlet kind of does in, in a year in reflection, those things are not imaginative at all. I mean, they are in, they are they are mildly informative in that they're archival, they're data collection, they're clickbaity kind of things. But it's I think it's a much harder task to say what's the imaginative space we're invited to in light of the year we just lived, you know. And I think, and I think it's hard too because um, we've been in crisis, many of us, like you know, you, you know, these lockdowns and. And just, you know, this yearning for business as usual and, you know, just this kind of year. And and there's been other, we can get into this, there's been other tumultuous things. I mean, 
it's been a it's been a really challenging year in 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 many regards i think but the question is how does how does the challenge move us to the imaginative space instead of just the informative data collecting space so so can i start us off because I, yes so so the first question that's burning for me that and i really do feel and this links back to our discussion of kind of the the sense of deja vu december 2021 december 2020 feeling very similar it it, it links into the whole COVID experience, but I really feel like a, a a big question that that 2021 is 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 just screaming at us to ask is like what is the right time horizon to think about the future, and and I guess what I mean by that is I feel like. In, in the COVID context, for two years, my time horizon has been sort of like a few weeks, a couple of months. And and that sense of this very short time horizon has been has been set and reinforced by kind of the the horizon of like public pronouncements. You know, we need to get through this wave. We need to we need a circuit breaker here. We need to like lock down, but it's just going to be for two months, and then then we'll see, and then we'll see, and then we'll see. So that you know, one of the consequences has been that you know now here in the UK, as it looks like, okay, maybe we need to ask people to you know lock down further anymore. There's just such a such an exhaustion of of participating in that short term narrative. It, it it kind of you know there's something that feels sort of like you know being inside that fairy tale of you know the boy who cries wolf and and, and okay and now you want me to believe that we need to do it this and and we're gonna and and we're gonna stop it by doing this but at the same time so so I feel like okay so for 2022 like should I still be thinking in three month increments and then so other data points. COP26, this environmental summit, happens here in Glasgow, um, you know, a month ago, which is saying, like, you know, we're thinking about this crisis in two-month, three-month terms, but really over two-year period, three-year period, five-year period, ten-year period, what is happening to nature is an even bigger crisis. And and we need to be taking that seriously. We need to be thinking urgently about that. So, okay, so, so, so I've... I've also got to think about the future in that time horizon. And then this other part of me, who is the political scientist and the China scholar, you know, looking at sort of what's been happening in China and its relative economic and military and technological development over the past 20 years, you know, they've definitely got a lot of things together in terms of where they want to go over the next 10, 20, 30 years. And I've got friends at Stanford who are, you know, tearing their hair out saying, oh, my God, I mean, we're falling behind China in, you know, our national innovation capacity, we being the United States in in, in that statement. And and so they're saying, like, we, we've got to be thinking like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years about our national competitiveness because, you know, authoritarianism versus democracy, all this stuff, all different time horizons. And I think that that's a kind of a question that that 2021 has just put in front of us like no other year I can, I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the challenge too, I think 
as you think about the, the context of the holiday party, as we were just joking about, but I mean, I think if you, if you're thinking about this stuff, I think the challenge is where do you find spaces to talk about it? Like, where do you find, you know, you have some colleagues at Stanford, you know, that are probably have a little context to talk about it. And, you know, people in certain kind of um, professional associations and things, but you know, there are a lot of people who are, reflective and concerned, right? Just concerned citizens. And where do you, where do you go to get past the kind of echo chambers? Because it's not that you can't talk about the the headline events of the day. I mean, that, that is not hard, right? Again, my clubhouse experience today was, was an illustration of this. It's not like, you know, there's going to be more and more context uh, especially uh, given the expansive things of things like social audio and other sorts of things where you can get on and, and, and you'll be able to process things, but is that processing helpful? You know, and, and how do you cultivate spaces where actually you can cultivate good questions, you know, and, and actually get back from a reactive state to actually a kind of reflective state. So you haven't answered my question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, reframe the question, because I, I just went with another question. What it, What is the time horizon for the future? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and that's and I feel question. like, okay, so like the, the cocktail party version of it is like, so how far ahead are you looking? Right, right. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I think. So it depends what lens I'm wearing on a given day. Like existentially, it could be, ah, man, what am I going to do? I've been kind of living a traveling. Um, I've been living the kind of uh, digital nomad lifestyle, which has been kind of interesting. I've kind of enjoyed it on one level. I, I've, I've, you know. You've definitely spent, grown this nomadic beard over, exactly. over, I look, I'm over like, this year. Like, exactly. I look, I look very uh, Semitic. I look like I'm kind of, you know, like ready to walk across the desert with a spirit. Um, yeah. So I think on one level, but I think the, the, per, so like, but the person in me that thinks about broad ways of living is probably, I think, the future looks like the short term future is probably the 50 year horizon. You know, that's your short term. Yeah. 50 years. Yeah. I mean, 50, because 50 years, what's your long term? <laughs> a couple hundred, like a couple hundred years is a long term, you know, cause you, you think about something like, like, um, you know, the printing press, it, it takes probably, I mean, the short-term impact was like in the 50-year scale, right? It, it really shook things up, uh, you know, it, it, in, in the short term in that, you know, Mar- without the printing press, Martin Luther dies just like John Huss, essentially before him, you know, like, but... Right, right. A lot of people who are railing against the authority of the church and... Right. I mean, the printing press. So in the 50-year thing, it just shakes the the political and social horizon up. But then you think, what does it do over 
long-term, like literacy, you know, like the, 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 the capacity for mass literacy, that's kind of the longer term, like couple hundred years sort of thing. So, so yeah, I don't know. My, my short term is, is sort of, is a couple decades. You're, you're really intimidating at that cocktail party, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I hope because like, if I had gone before you and said, I don't know, a couple of weeks, and then you go, <laughs> suddenly I look like this daft shallow. Oh my God, who let Chris into this party? <laughs> but, don't, but don't you think, I mean, like it's in some ways, like despite and then the person the after you goes, Oh yeah, a thousand years. That's how I'm thinking of the future. <laughs> oh yeah. A thousand. Yeah. 2022 is the first, the first year of the next millennium in my books. I've got it all planned out. <laughs> but you know, but that, no, but that's a great question. Like what is the future? And yeah, I mean, in, and when do we yeah. like you know and like in the context of this ongoing you know sort of pandemic which if you think at the start was almost the only thing that was real there was there was nothing in in, in I think a lot of our lived experiences there was nothing to contemplate beyond getting a handle on this thing and so the future was kind of you know had been interrupted there was just a wall yeah and 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 gradually we sort of pushed that wall farther and farther back and then started to perceive once more the flow of time to where now i think people have maybe fully recovered the sense that time flows events continue to move on and and the pandemic is less walling off our perception of the future and it's more anchoring us into the past or like, like some kind of sack full of stones that we have to drag with us. But it, 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 it's kind of, you know, it feels like societies and, and us as individuals, we're in the process of, of adapting to carrying that weight rather than, um, rather than waiting to to drop it. Hmm, I should, that's a nice metaphor, actually. <laughs> yeah, and time is time is relative, right? In the sense of sixty minutes on an early date with a really budding love interest who you're thinking about all the time, that goes by in a heartbeat. Sixty minutes in the dentist's waiting room. Is an eternity. <laughs> and it's the same 60 minutes. I mean, it really is. I mean, you know, like we can we can look at the metric, but the way we experience time feels very, very different. Like the same 60 minutes can feel massively different. And and I and that, and that's I think one of the things that that something like a pandemic really messes with, as you're saying, your experience of time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So I think I think that's one. I think that's a good holiday conversation to take to the party. How how you know how far ahead are you looking? Are you thinking? Yeah. What what are you thinking in the future? Yeah. How far ahead do you look? What's your future? So I'm looking at you. It's your turn. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Questions that 2021 begs us to consider. Yeah, I think, you know, so... Okay. And you can take as yeah. long as you want because we can always edit out the long... You can always pause. edit out the long, <laughs> long pauses. This is where 
podcasting time is also very, very relative. Now, you know, I I think there is a really good question around like what we who is the we? You know, you know, what does it mean to be us? I think, you know, mm. that that in, in a time mm. of pan, a pandemic, the, the kind of who is we question is interesting to me in the sense of, you know, you, because there are people that, you know, and this is, I, I think there are good faith actors on all sides of this kind of thing where you're thinking, look, the answer to this is personal responsibility. And, and basically, you know, this is something that we, we, we can't, we have not successfully kind of ferreted it out. Right. I mean, we've, I think things like vaccines and other things have mitigated it, but you know, people ultimately, you know, there's a group of people that said, really, it's all on you versus the people that think it's an us problem. You know, that, that like we've got to kind of hunker down and be an us in this context. And I think that's a really intriguing question because I, because it's not something where, it's not like it's a question of flat earth or six day creation or something like that. That's great. Like, I think that a lot of the people that on, on both sides of, of the question are really good faith actors. I mean, they're not, you know, they, they want to get us through a tumultuous year and, but there's radically different orientations. And again, if you have a big family, you'll probably see this, orientate these orientations at your holiday parties, right? You know, there are going to be people that are, that, you know, it, it's all, it's interesting in the States. I mean, I don't know how, if, if it's like this in London or not, but I'm sure there's similar things. I mean, it, it, it is, it is so primal the way people kind of judge people based on how they're responding to the pandemic and to, um, you know, how, how they respond to government measures and stuff. And so, I mean, so, I mean, I think that it's an interesting question, like how much are we a we in this, you know, wh what does it mean to be, to be an, an us or a we? It's not very grammatically elegant, but the phrasing of the interrogative, but I think, you know, that what, who, who, who is the body politic? Who are we and how much are we on our own? Uh, and, and at what point are we a we that like, that can only really dig our way out of kind of meta problems like this when we have a concerted collective effort. Well, so now I have question jealousy because I, th <laughs> I think your question <laughs> is, is even better than mine. Um, who is the we, you know, and, and, you know, can immediately think of, you know, in, you know, you're you're in New York. I'm in London. You can immediately think of, you know, if you want to think in the vaccine context, those who have been vaccinated, those who have not, in you know, in your in your own country, in your own nation. I'm looking at this great visualizer of the Earth at graphics.reuters.com on um, vaccine rollout and access, and it's like a it's a map. It's a, it's a globe, and you can spin it, <clears throat> and it's got vaccination rates by country and if you spin to africa um you know i think the lowest rate in the world this is probably central 
Democratic Republic of the Congo, 0.2% have received at least one dose. Did you say 0.2%? 0.2%, yeah. Wow. In Nigeria, uh, let's see, Nigeria, 4.1%. Mauritania, that's better, 24.5%. Um, South Africa, 31.9%. And Omicron originated in South Africa. And then it spread to the United Kingdom and into Europe and now in the United States and back home in my Canada. Could could there be a better time to ask, like, could there be a more appropriate question for 2021 than who is the we? I, that, I mean, that really is the, the question at the heart of what we're going through right now. Um, yeah, the World Health Organization, I haven't checked in the past couple of days, but as of a few days ago, it was still like their official advice was not was was not in favor of administering booster shots, not because they aren't effective, but because there are other so many other people in countries that haven't even had their first dose. Right. And I, I just had, you know, full disclosure, I had my third dose two days ago. Right. Who is the we? Yeah. And, and also, you know, even from a less than altruistic perspective, I think one of the things you're alluding to is like, look, look, South Africa, everybody has international airports. <laughs> you know, it, it, if you're at 30 percent vaccination rate, right, like this is going to be uh, I, I read a, a study this morning that they're they're saying 40 percent of adult cases right now are asymptomatic, right? So you might be in South Africa on business. You go around, you hang out, you go to, you know, some business parties or whatever. You have no idea you're infected. You don't get a test because you don't know. You don't feel sick, right? You're, you feel fine. You get on a plane and then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you do a layover here then you get back to London. I mean, this is, you know, this is the we, you know, it's, it's, it's an inc the world that we live in is an incredibly permeable membrane. Right. Right. Yeah. And that, I mean, yeah, because from the vaccines perspective, we are all part of the we. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's the, uh, that's the thing that, you know, makes this so difficult is even if, even if everybody accepts, that um, you know, vaccines are effective. If everybody was pro-vaccine, you would still have the problem that you know the vaccine looks as, at human humanity as one species, as one we that right. is adapted to um, you know to to colonize, and we don't look at ourselves that way. And and again, this is why why I applaud your question because. I mean, if if not now, then when? There's never going to be a better time to ask the question, who is the we, pr precisely because, you know, the one global event with all these different experiences of it, it just it just betrays how how we do actually look at um, at one another. And, you know, this is this has sort of been playing out since since my days you know two years ago helping to to move ppe across you know kind of across the planet and you know working for my friends in government in canada and the united states and here in europe 
And I remember being um, interviewed on, I think it was Canadian radio, CBC radio. And, and the, um, the interviewer asked me, you know, so like, how do you feel about like what you're doing? Like moving, you know, product, like cause sort of it's needed everywhere, isn't it? And, and, um, and it was a great question because I had been grappling with it a lot and, and also just recognizing that, and I, I was just doing this pro bono. I was just trying to help friends out in government. Um, but it was, it was the demand in different parts of the world that was, that was also doing it. Like we were all doing it. Yeah. It was, it was the, you know, the fact that, the Canadian government had, you know, basically set up a temporary airport, you know, in Shanghai with, you know, its own mm. military airplanes and, you know, was, you know, kind of extending these, you know, in every country with the capacity to do it was building these supply chains to kind of grab what they could and take it back to their people because, in their countries, everybody was saying, why don't we have masks? Why don't we have ventilators? And, you know, I remember working with some friends at the World Bank and we were trying to set up, you know, funding uh, facilities so that, um, you know, countries in Central and Latin America could, um, could access this stuff too. And, but the prices... That these 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 cheap little paper things were they you know, had once been cheap were now going for it was it was only the uh, like the Americans and the Canadians and the Brits who were who were first in line and and could pay for it so like who was the we then and that was before vaccines and then with the vaccines it's the same thing and with whatever comes next it's going to be you know with the reconstruction with the recovery. You know, it's interesting. You tell a story in your book, In the Age of Discovery, where you talk about, I'm trying to remember, it's, um, there's kind of like a witch doctor or something that comes and like, cat, like does like an incantation in light of the ships that are pulling up on the shore or something. I'm trying to imagine, I'm trying to remember this story in the book where you, and you talk about, I think in the book, uh, where that this form of magic actually works. I mean, it, it, mm. it emboldens the people, right? Right. This, right. Right. You know, if you're a Westerner, you look at this and you think, Oh, this is superstition. And you kind of actually say, no, it's really magical. I mean, what happens there is magical. Do you remember the, the section I'm talking about? I do. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm flipping through the book now. I can't remember if I can, if I can find the, um, the exact passage, but what I remember was, and I think it was uh, like an encounter, uh, like a, a Spanish encounter with the Aztecs. Right. Yeah. With and, the Aztecs. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, and Montezuma sent his priests to curse the, the invaders. And what was interesting was, you know, kind of in anthropology, the power of a curse if if we live in a society where we all believe that you know when i mark you as cursed you are cursed so that you then feel as if you are cursed and everyone in the community acts toward you differently now 
because you are cursed, then that is totally real. You accept the change. Everyone enacts the change. We all enact it. And so something has changed. A ritual has been performed and we all behave differently. So the magic is real. And and it's only when you you try to you you try to kind of act that magic on people who have you know have not been socialized in all, at all in this ritual and what it means that it's just comical like what what are you, what are you right, doing right, right. Like, <laughs> so that's that's the story i remember now what how does it connect to well i was just thinking i was thinking about the the power of the magic and i think about akin to the curse in the biblical tradition, there's this idea of the blessing. And there's this really interesting story where this character, Jacob, who is one of the bigger characters in Genesis, he he does this machination. His father, Isaac, has gone blind. And and it's kind of hard of hearing, and but he's he's dying and he needs to give the blessings out. And clearly, he's going to give the the bigger blessing to Esau, to the older son. And Jacob does this. His mother helps him. He's his mother's favorite. She makes his father's favorite dish. He puts animal skins on his arms because Esau was a hairy man. And he knew he would touch, that Isaac would touch his arms, but couldn't see him. And Jacob even sa- Isaac even says this weird thing, the voice is Jacob, but the man is Esau. And Isaac blesses him, and he gets the older son's blessing. Like, he gets this, the blessing of the firstborn as someone who was the younger son. And that changed his life, the blessing, right? This this performative act. And I wonder, what is it in our polity, in our public life? Like, what blessings could we give? What stories could we tell? What ways can we, as we move into a new year, what better questions can we ask that that become blessings for people, that become reframing of narratives, right? Where I think like, I think bad questions, or at least, um, or that may be kind of more loaded, or at least reductive questions and reductive conversations can really curse us, right? They can really lock us into Mm. dead end conversations um, and, and just be, debilitating, you know, leave us and really good conversations, you know, the kind of stuff that you've kind of given, uh, you know, your life to over the past few years, you know, cultivating, convening conversations when they're good, they're, they're really good. And, 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 and they can be a real blessing. And I wonder how, as we move into a year, that's going to be tumultuous. Um, clearly um, it's not going to, you know, we face geopolitical issues all over the globe. You know, the pandemic is not going away. Supply chain issues, just just mental health, all these things are really there. Like how do we, how can good questions and good framing and good storytelling be a blessing? Uh, I, I like to, that to a lot. Us. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, that's, I was done. I was done. I, I was landing the plane as oh, they say. You totally landed that plane. So, so the question I heard well, the form of the question that I love in what you just said is, what blessings can we bestow on other people? And and I like I like how you talk about reframing as a form of blessing. 
I think that's quite profound. I, I, I talk about reframing things a lot um, in, in, in the work that I do. And often, you know, we're, we're not talking in an emotional or spiritual way or, you know, in a kind of mental health way. We're talking about a kind of cognitive way. You know, is that a good concept or is that a different concept? I had an interesting conversation as an example uh, with a, a, tech, a, a technologist and we were talking about the S-curve of adoption. Have you ever heard of the S-curve? So it starts very slow, there's some early adopters, and then suddenly there's like rapidly increases and then it kind of plateaus. Right. And and so now they're talking about reframing that. So there, there are no S-curves anymore. Um, it's all J-curves. Very fastly, rapidly adopted. And then, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next mm. thing. Um, so that's an example of a reframe that's just, it's it's interesting. It's helpful. Like, oh, yeah, it's not a world of S-curves. It's a world of J-curves. Great. It can help me think about, you know, different, help me understand better what might happen with different technologies, blah, 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 blah. It's very, it's a very intellectual exercise. But, but to think of a reframe as a form of blessing, as, as an opportunity to, you know, exercise the faculty of imagination in a crisis and to to help other people to reframe which you know that goes back for me to the magic is you know the the priest who instead of giving a blessing instead of giving a curse gives a blessing and then you feel blessed and so you walk around as if you've had like what was the magic potion that Harry Potter drank in one of the Harry Potter movies and he could do no wrong Right, right, right. You're not the Harry Potter um, trivia expert. One of our listeners knows is screaming into like the air right now. It's the something potion, Felix. Something, <laughs> right? And everybody believes that. Oh, you're specially charmed. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could, if we could do that for for one another? Because I think you're totally right about the mental. I mean, so many people, myself included, like, oh, it's been a tough couple of years. A lot has changed, and not all of it good. And uh, you know, to have someone just perform a blessing on me, and it'd be like, and I feel that okay. I, I it's it's irrational, but things must be so much better now because I've been blessed by that person, and everybody else is acting around me as if I've now been blessed. Oh, that would be that would be such a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Yeah, it's the it's the power of a. Uh, there's this great 16th century term called imputation. Um, That's not a word. Yeah, it is a word, <laughs> but but like but it's funny we only use it negatively now, right? Like you imputed bad motives to me. Like nobody uses it positively. Like when people use the word impute, it's it's categorically negative. But in the I 16th, am so going to the Oxford English Dictionary right now. It's tr it's a word. It's a real word. Imputation, impute. Mm. It's a great word. No one uses it anymore, except in negative context. You're right. You're right. Yeah, to represent something, especially something undesirable, as being done or possessed by someone. The crimes imputed to Richard. Uh huh. And so, tell me, tell me about the original meaning. Well, I mean, this, this, um, it, it, it had this religious meaning where um, Martin Luther said, "Where that what happens in salvation is." 
the righteousness of Christ is imputed to you. So you might have a real messy record. And then basically he was like, he's like, when, when God looks at your record, he sees the record of Christ, not your mistakes. And the, and the, the biggest, the most powerful image I can, I can think of with this, and it's the power of the blessing is in the opening of Les Miserables. When Jean Valjean gets caught stealing the candlesticks, wasn't it? The candlesticks, yeah. And he says, the priest comes out and says, Jean, Jean, I'm very angry with you. I told you to take the silverware as well. Right. And, you know, Jean Valjean is undone, Mm. you know. Mm. And the priest just hugs him and says, I've bought your soul. You're a new man. And at that point, there's this that's the power of the blessing, right? Where Jean, Jean Valjean can't see himself as anything other than this desperate kind of criminal. Mm. And he does become a new man, you know, and like, right. And it's, 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 uh, who's the, who's the bad guy? Of- Dude, I've, uh, Javert. Javert. And Javert is the opposite. Javert can't hear a new story. Like he's, he's bound to an exacting code that is so limiting and unimaginative and he just can't get out of it. And ultimately it, he knows it doesn't work anymore and he has to suicide. You know, he can't, he can't live in a world where this code is crumbling. And I think that's the, I mean, at, at what point the blessing, like how do, you know, what stories can we tell and what questions can we ask that are the blessing that, that rename situations and contexts so that people all of a sudden have some hope and all of a sudden can, can get out of the cul-de-sac of the self-defeating narratives and, and the kind of blame games and things and get us to a place where we can gather around and one of your favorite metaphors, gather around a campfire Mm. and see, and see possibility and promise as opposed to peril and, and just um, blame. Dude, dude, that's beautiful. I, I, I have this strong urge to like, you know, go to London's West End right now and get like a cheap ticket to see Les Miserables like tonight. And, <laughs> and if not for COVID, I might do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I think they might have been shut down um, again. That's oh, that's great! You've I've, I've totally got to watch Les Mis over the holidays, even though the the kind of the Hollywood production wasn't that great. I think, but I I, I enjoy. I've seen that musical a couple of times, but you've just you've just encapsulated the 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 kind of the core of the story more beautifully than I've ever heard it or or perceived it myself. And that's exactly it. You're right. the 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 blessing is real upon the character of Jean Valjean and it totally changes his life. And there's nothing more real than that. I mean, it, it, it is, it is a completely life changing event because he believed it was real. Yes. And there was also, I mean, it was, it was this wonderful also like concrete act that had a, it had a manifestation to it. I mean, I, I, the, the priest was in a position to have him sent off to jail by these, uh, police who had caught him and, and and really did believe that he was he was a criminal who he indeed was and kind of felt angry at the priest 
for letting this guy off the hook. We wanted to capture this guy. You know, we're, we're, we're police officers. That's what we, that's what we like to do. So there was a real concrete, you know, reality to the blessing. It had a, it had an immediate practical impact on his, on his life. And, and maybe that's one of the challenges for us in, in addition to, you know, we just, just, we just don't give one another enough blessings, but also it, you have to believe in its power for it to manifest. That, that, that would be the really risky holiday party question <laughs> to say, to say to your friends, you're sitting around and you know, you're, you know, maybe it's the dessert course and there's wine being had and stuff. And you just say, look, you all mean a lot to me. You're my friends and, and or family or both. Um, how can I be a blessing to you this year? You know, or, 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 or if that sounds too sanctimonious, like how can I be just more present for you this year? How can I be someone that helps make you um, more you? You know, what, what, what can I do? And I, I think that's, a great invitation, you know, and I, I think, you know, mm. it's interesting because mm. those questions are so awkward, right? At first to pose it, right? Like it, it, it will seem so weird, vulnerable and intimate, but I, my guess is if you did it, it would start a two hour conversation. Everybody, it, it, people. Great get middling. Nothing. Exactly. And that's powerful middling. It's a very powerful middling. Um, uh, that would be the the middling that would that people you know you'd be looking back two years later and saying wow that was a really great yeah that yeah, opened something asked, we went somewhere real yeah and and that's that's maybe part of these holiday conversations is we we don't often have real conversation it's it's performative. And yeah. what you're talking about is how can we get real? How can we how can we touch one another or or feel moved by one another? And I thought it was really interesting and totally true what you said that it would be really awkward. It would feel awkward to get into this question, which is to some extent the an indictment of and 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 proof of how performative even in Pause there. So anthropologists um, sometimes talk about sight, ritual, and drama as the constituent components of, you know, human social experience. And, you know, when you have a sight like around the Christmas tree or around that Christmas dinner table and and you you do these shared rituals, like, you know, whatever your ritual might be, we turn on the tree, we open one gift, Somebody carves the turkey. We we break Christmas crackers. You know, we every family has its set of holiday rituals. It is in that context that there is the the most opportunity for meaningful drama, which is the unscripted stuff that is nonetheless deeply meaningful and has shared understanding and you know builds the richness of relationship. That's when the drama can happen, and that we that we 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 create these sites, we perform these rituals, and we 
we hesitate to be dramatic with one another is is really a, a, just a just a tragedy of missed opportunities because it's our best chance of the year to have that human drama. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it, it is, and it's you know, it's funny because I used to love to host birthday parties for friends, and everybody knew if I was hosting the party, what was going to happen. There would be a part like. Um, where after we had eaten or something, where basically everybody had to go around and share a story about the person whose birthday it was. And this is why you have no more friends. <laughs> you know, it and feels, I don't know why people don't show up for the parties anymore. You know, it feels <laughs> awkward at first. Mm. And then by the end of it, everyone loves it and everyone wants it done for them eventually. You know, like... Mm. Uh, you know, and it's it's funny because um, I I have been on the receiving end of this practice, and it was awkward for me. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like I I didn't enjoy it like, at mm, first, mm. but then by the end of it, I was right. But these these ways of creating, um, you know, practices like you're saying, these site ritual drama that that also you know these are um, they carry the questions. Right, like these kind of human, um, they're they're kind of, um, yeah, they they they're they're couriers for questions, you know, and I think that's why these things are, are really important, and 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 you know, and it's interesting because I think uh, we're in a, a rapidly changing, um, you know, it's just Western culture changes so quickly. Uh, you know, faster than most people in world history are used to accommodating change. And maybe that's even more important, like thinking, how can we um, create, like you're saying, social spaces to get to these questions and to be a blessing to each other? Like, what can we do? And maybe, you know, and, and maybe it's a great time to, uh, you know, we've got a couple days before, you know, the holidays hit. Um most of you have probably been to your holiday parties and stuff, but probably haven't been to your friends, family kind of gatherings. And I don't know. It's it's an invitation, right, to think, oh, what are some ways we can um, – T.S. Eliot has a great quote. He said, we had the experience, but we missed the meaning. And how can we, you know, um, not not miss the meaning? You know, like that's a great – that's a great maybe like a uh, question to enter into the – the holiday with like, how do I, how do I not miss the meaning here? You know, because there are probably lots of moments like you're saying, whether you're carving the Turkey or sitting around a tree or visiting with your uncle, you only see every once in a while or something, but there are probably pregnant moments and, mm -hmm. and just inviting yourself to say, what can I see here? Like, how can I be here? And how can I be a blessing? High quality. So, you know, if if you find yourself middling at uh, at the Christmas dinner table, so three great conversations for three great conversation starters to to make it memorable. One is yeah. So how how far in the future are you going to think? Two was who is the we? Yeah, and three is. What blessings can we give to each other? Yeah. And then 
after you've had that amazing conversation, when you have that quiet moment to yourself, glass of wine, Christmas tree, a fourth question for your own personal reflection, which is how do I not miss the meaning Yeah, of this experience? That's Dude, great. I love it. I'm so excited for Christmas now. This is great. New year. Let's report back. Yeah, we'll report back. Exactly. We'll we'd love something. to hear from everybody too. Yeah, did you actually we'll try it? Did, you, did any of these questions work for you? Rate the questions on question meter. Tell us what your top 10 were. Oh no, yeah, we're doing it again. You, we're doing it. <laughs> we're doing it. Yeah. If you would email us too, we'd love to hear because that'd be really interesting um, to hear back. You know, if you tried this. Emails in the show notes. Scott, Merry Christmas. It's been great. Happy holidays. Yeah. And also to you. All right, my friends. We'll see you in the new year. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to The Atlas Project. We'd love to hear your feedback. Drop us a line or send us a message on Facebook. If you really like what we're doing, please rate us on iTunes and write a review. It helps so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks for listening and facing the new world with us.